So uh, in 2001, uh, my wife and I uh, followed God's call on our lives to uh, become missionaries ourselves and to go overseas. We had just finished uh, seminary and, uh, and we were heading off to be missionaries. And um, our daughter Hannah was about 17 months old there when we left. And uh, Ella was about six months pregnant with our son Max. And uh, we packed all those bags that you see there and jumped on a, uh, a KLM flight to South Africa and uh, spent most of the next decade uh, serving God in South Africa. But our, uh, the story I want to tell today is about our, our trip over there. We flew on KLM, and KLM is a Dutch airline, so it went through Amsterdam. And we thought, hey, what a great opportunity to stop over for a few days and see a little bit of Amsterdam on our way to South Africa. So that was what we did. We uh, spent a few days there. And in Amsterdam, they have these uh, really cool trams that run around the city. And uh, we needed to use one of those trams in order to get to the little B&B where we were staying. And uh, so we figured out how to buy a ticket um, from a little uh, ticket-selling kiosk there. And the, the ticket is called a Strippenkart. And uh, you see the picture of it there. On the left is your, uh, your, your ticket, the strip ticket. And um, the ticket has all those numbered lines going down the side. Uh, or down the whole thing. And, and, and those lines, each one represents... Um, to, or it represents a, uh, a zone that you ride on the tram. And so if you're going to ride two zones, you stamp two lines down or whatever it goes. So you can use the ticket over and over. Um, and uh, so we got on the tram, and there's this machine there um, that, uh, that looks like a, a time clock. And you stick your ticket in there, and it stamps your, your ticket for you. And then, uh, then you can ride the, the tram. Uh, so we got, on, we got on the tram, and we look at this machine, and we stuck a ticket in there, and it stamped it. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, well, I, there's two of us. Uh, Hannah was riding for free. Uh, so there's two of us, so I had to stamp it twice. So I stuck my ticket in there again, and it, it just stamped it in the same place again. And uh, I wasn't really sure how to get the thing to go further in. It's, it was like, how do I stick this thing in further into the machine so it'll stamp further down? I, I couldn't figure it out, but I thought, whatever, I stamped it twice. Good enough. We'll, uh, we'll just go with that. Um, but the tram wasn't very crowded. There's only a few other people on there. And there were these two Dutch guys who were sitting there near us who saw what I was doing. And, uh, and one of them leans over to me and says to me in pretty good English, he says, hey, do you want me to show you how that ticket is really supposed to work so that you can use it properly? And uh, so then I had a choice to make, right? I had a choice to either decide to stick with my own understanding of their ticket system, and, uh, uh, or I could take the advice from a local. Um, and I could have been fearful that this guy was trying to take advantage of me somehow, right? Or maybe, uh, you know, uh, why would this guy, what reason did he have for, for helping me? Or I could have been prideful and defensive. I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure out how to use a tram. Uh, I don't need some random stranger telling me how to do things. Or, you know, I could have even doubted whether that guy really knew anything more than I did. How, how do I know that he's ridden this tram before, and, and why should I listen to him? But, you know, luckily, I was smart enough to accept his help, and he explained to me, what you do is you actually fold the ticket over at the line of the number where you want it to stamp, and then you stick it in folded, and it stamps right on the line where you want it to do. And that's how you can see on that one there that there's stamps all the way down to the bottom of it, and that's how you get those stamps down there. Um, now, why was it smart for me 
to listen to that guy on the tram instead of doing it my own way the best I knew how. You know, it really wasn't a very difficult decision to take that guy's advice, uh, and there was a couple of reasons for that. First of all, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I knew that I didn't really know what I was doing. I only had a vague idea of how the thing was supposed to work, never been to Amsterdam, just got off the plane, and, uh, and it wasn't, I couldn't figure out how to make it go further into the machine to stamp further down. So, um, secondly then, the other guy, he was clearly a local uh, Dutch guy who rode the tram all the time, and he said he knew how to run it, and he was offering his help. So really, how foolish would it have been for me to insist on doing it my own way when it was obvious that my knowledge of the system was, was not very good and he knew so much more than I did? The only reasonable thing to do was to take his advice and, and do it the way he told me to. Now, today, we are starting a new sermon series in which we're going to be looking at themes from the biblical book of 1 Corinthians. And our subtitle for this series is A Study of God's Wisdom Applied to Everyday Life. Because that's really what the book of 1 Corinthians is. The people in Corinth were having some problems, and the Apostle Paul, who had planted this church a few years earlier, uh, was now writing this letter back to apply the wisdom of God to their situation. Um, we call this uh, 1 Corinthians because uh, there's a, sometime later he wrote another letter to them, which is also in the Bible. We call that one 2 Corinthians. So we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, but at this point, when Paul wrote this letter, he was not just applying the wisdom of Paul to the situation at Corinth. Um, no doubt Paul was a very wise guy and had a significant amount of knowledge of the scriptures and things. And he, he probably, uh, you know, he'd been a church leader for quite a while. But this particular letter uh, is part of the Bible. And that means that it is not just the best advice from a good man. The fact that this letter was included in the scripture means that it has been recognized as the inspired word of God. And we believe that at certain times, God the Holy Spirit guided biblical authors so that the things that they wrote were the exact words that God wanted to say. The Bible's testimony about itself is that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God-breathed. It is the very words of God. That means that Reading the Bible is really just the same as if the voice of God spoke to you out of the clouds. These are the words of God coming to us. This book is the words of God and it contains the wisdom of God. So, what does that have to do with my story about the tram in Amsterdam? Uh, oftentimes, we find ourselves facing challenges of various kinds in our lives. Some of our challenges are even more serious than figuring out how to use a tram ticket on a train. Um, and God is offering us his wisdom in how to face those challenges. So, what should we do? 
Should we accept God's wisdom or should we do our best with our own wisdom? It's kind of a silly question, really, because the answer is so obvious. We all know that God knows more than we do. He's smarter than we are. He can see the future. Um, His wisdom is definitely much more trustworthy than our own ideas. And our memory verse uh, is a a great summary of this uh, concept. We're going to see that in our passage today, but here's the memory verse again. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And uh, just a side thing, uh, all you feminists out there, before you get to, uh, you know, you're going to strain your neck, nodding, yeah, yeah. This is, uh, men here is the generic, all mankind, not just men, so let's not get too excited there. Anyway, uh, just like it would have been no sense to keep trying to use the tram ticket my own way instead of trusting in a local who knew the system and knew how to do it, it would make even less sense to follow our own way instead of trusting in the wisdom of God. So, obviously, we all follow God's wisdom, since we all know this to be true. We all follow God's wisdom every time when we come to a challenge in life. We never do the unwise thing that seems right to us. We do the things God's way all the time, right? Or maybe not. But if we all know that even God's worst idea, the foolishness of God, as it was in the memory verse, which is not really to say that God has any bad ideas or is foolish, it's it's hyperbole, right? You recognize that. The foolishness of God and the weakness of God, even those things are better than anything that we can do. We know that. Then why don't we trust God in any and every situation? I know that my best day is not even in the same league with God's worst day. But I still choose to go my own way. Fairly frequently. Now there's a couple of reasons for that that I'm going to talk about here. One obvious reason is sometimes we just don't know what the wisdom of God is on a particular issue. Sometimes uh, we, we, we don't know how to apply God's wisdom to our specific situation. Uh, But God has revealed himself and his wisdom in the Bible. And the Bible's a pretty big book. It's a a big book. It's got a lot in there. Uh, It has a lot to teach us. So if you're struggling to know God's will, the first thing you should do is pick up your Bible and start reading it. (laughs) Um, But but the thing is, it's not really a good practice to, to wait until you come to the fork in the road and wait until you've got a major dilemma and say, oh no, I don't know what to do. Maybe I better start reading my Bible. No, read your Bible now. (laughs) Read your Bible daily, and when you come to those things, you'll know what the scriptures have to say. Um, Get to know God through the Bible now, and then you'll have the knowledge of God that you need to make the choice that God would have you to make. And aside from personal reading of the Bible, another good way to know God's wisdom and how it applies to our lives is to come to the rest of this sermon series because that's what we're going to be talking about, right? God's wisdom as it applies to our lives. But not just this sermon series, but all kinds of Bible teaching um, is, uh, is really helpful to us for knowing God's word and knowing how to apply God's word to our lives. So uh, another great way that we can learn God's will for a particular situation 
uh, is uh, just to discuss your problem with other Christians. God frequently chooses to use other people to help us to understand him better. So sometimes we don't uh, act according to God's wisdom because we just don't know what God says about a particular situation. But we can minimize the problem by studying and reading the Bible and by discussing our problem with other Christians. But knowing God's will is not the only reason uh, that we sometimes don't act according to God's wisdom. Right? Sometimes we know the right thing, but we still don't do it. Another factor that uh, sometimes causes us to do things our own way, even when we know what God has to say about it, is this. It is that, that we are very happy to acknowledge the superiority of God's wisdom and to do things his way as long as it makes good sense to us. When God's wisdom meshes really nicely with our own way of thinking, and he's pretty much telling us to do what we were going to do anyway, then no problem. I can follow God 100% of the time. Or when what God has to say about a situation isn't maybe what we were already thinking, but once we see it, we can see, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can see why that is a better way to do things than what I was thinking before. And so it makes good sense to us. No problem. We can follow God in those things. But there are other times when we are asked to actually trust God. When his wisdom is surprising and doesn't fit our own thoughts on the issue at all. In fact, sometimes God's wisdom looks like foolishness to us. And that's when this whole idea uh, becomes a real issue. A lot of times this happens when we know that God says that we should live a certain way and we think that makes sense in most circumstances, but not right now for me in this circumstance. Right now, this particular challenge that I'm facing uh, my own way really seems better than God's way. For instance, um, as an example, God tells us that when someone comes to me and apologizes for hurting me, I am to forgive them. Even if this is not the first time that this has happened, even if it's happened over and over again. They keep hurting me. They keep coming back and saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to do it again. And I forgive them. And then shortly after that, it happens again. And they come back, oh, I'm so sorry. And again and again. And the Bible says, keep forgiving them. The wisdom of God says, forgive them again. But I want to say, yes, in theory, I recognize that forgiveness is best. And in most situations, forgiveness is the right thing to do. But this really hurt me. This person has really wronged me. This time, it's different, and I can't let them get away with it. I will not forgive. I'm going to hold a grudge against this person, and if I get a chance, I'm going to get vengeance. They will live to rue the day. Because this situation is an exception to the rule. It just doesn't make sense to continue to forgive this person for hurting me over and over again. You ever had thoughts like that? Maybe not about forgiveness, though I do think that this is a pretty common one for us to 
doubt God's wisdom on. But have you ever had thoughts, uh, yeah, I know what God says about this, and most of the time, God's way is the right way to handle the situation, but this situation is different. In this situation, my way of handling it is better than God's way of handling it. I don't think we very often would say that out loud, <laughs> but, uh, but we often make the choice that, uh, that shows that we have had those thoughts and made that decision. In this situation, my way beats God's way. Another reason we don't follow God's wisdom, even when we know what it is, is that often we just don't really trust God. Uh, That is, we don't trust that his wisdom truly has what is best for us at heart. God doesn't want me to have fun. That's why he says this. We think that following God's wisdom on this is going to get me into trouble or cause me to miss out on a great opportunity or it's going to hurt me financially or it's going to make me lose some friends. God may be wise and all that, but is he really trustworthy? Does he really want what is best for me or does God want to control my life? and take a good chunk of the enjoyment out of my life. Well, the fact is that God loves us. And part of what that means is that he does want us to have the best life possible. And his wisdom means that he always knows what is truly the best thing for us. The wisdom of God is completely trustworthy. And we must learn to know and to trust the wisdom of God. And the question that we all need to be asking ourselves is, are we certain um, that in these particular areas of life, trusting our own wisdom, are we trusting our own wisdom rather than God's wisdom in certain areas? Where in your life do you need to learn to follow the wisdom of God? Here in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, the discussion uh, on the wisdom of God is focused on a particular area that we need to trust God, where his wisdom is quite different from the conclusions that people come to on our own. And let's start reading in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The emphasis here is the contrast between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. And this is an area that calls for faith and trust in God. Now, what is it that seems like foolishness in the eyes of the world, but is actually the wisdom of God? What is it in this passage? It is the message of the cross, verse 18. But what is the message of the cross? What are we really talking about there? It is the very core doctrines of the good news of the gospel. And we're going to summarize that this morning with uh, six statements. First statement is, uh, we were created by a God who loves us. This is our very foundational understanding of who we are. But how does that part of the message of the cross fit with the wisdom of the world? Well, modern educated people have moved beyond the myth of creation and understand that life arose by random chemical interactions And we were created by a purposeless process of evolution, powered by random mutation and directed by natural selection. The wisdom of the world says that only deluded fools still believe that they were created by a God who loves them. The second point in our summary of the message of the cross is that we have all chosen to rebel against God and are guilty. The Bible teaches that we have all sinned and that our sins cause us to be guilty before God. But this idea of sin and guilt is, uh, is also not very popular in the wisdom of the world. Uh, human wisdom wants to say that people are basically good. Uh, for most of us at least, the good outweighs the bad and we are not uh, guilty, we are, we're innocent. The third uh, summary statement says, the message of the cross says that we are all deserving of eternal punishment in hell. Now, this is the one that really sounds like foolishness to the wisdom of men. And I think that of of all the Christian doctrines, this is uh, the one that's most widely rejected by the wisdom of the world. In fact, this part of the message of the cross is where even a lot of Christians struggle to accept the wisdom of God. That even the nicest, kindest, most friendly and helpful person you've ever met is a sinner who deserves eternal punishment in hell forever. I myself don't really like this, uh, this teaching of the Bible, it, 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 it kind of, I, I wish that it was different. I wish this wasn't true. But I am convinced that it is true. And I trust the wisdom of God to judge justly and to do what is right, which may not be what seems right to me. Our fourth summary statement is that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself from your sinful condition and your impending punishment in hell. 
So saying Hail Marys, giving money to the church, feeding the poor, doing penance, making a pilgrimage to Mecca, fasting, baptism, none of that is going to save you from the punishment that you deserve. The message of the cross teaches that all of our good deeds, all of our religious practices, and all, any other good thing that you can do is going, not going to do anything to save you because the idea that our lives will be weighed on the scale like one of those old balance scales and you'll put the good over here and the bad over here and, and hopefully your good will outweigh your bad, that is just not the way that it works. That's human wisdom. That makes sense to us. But it is not the wisdom of God. The Bible teaches that all of our good deeds and religious practices are like filthy rags. Now those last three points are pretty depressing, aren't they? <laughs> we have all chosen to rebel against God and are guilty. We're all deserving of eternal punishment in hell and there's nothing you can do to save yourself from it. But don't forget the first point. We were created by a God who loves us. And when God saw our predicament caused by our sin, that's when he really showed his love for us. The next uh, fifth summary point is, the only way to be saved is to put our trust entirely in Jesus' payment for our sins on the cross. The Bible teaches that even while we were still sinners, in rebellion against God, Jesus died for us. He took the punishment for our sins, and because of his death on the cross, we can be forgiven and escape the punishment that we deserve. And that is great news. But it isn't the wisdom of the world. This part of the statement, uh, the, 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 the thing here that, that's most widely rejected by modern wisdom is the part that says that trusting entirely in Jesus' death is the only way to be saved. Well, what about people who follow other religions? Well, the message of the cross says that they cannot be saved from their sins and the punishment that their sins deserve unless they put their trust entirely in Jesus' death on the cross. And again, this is a part of the message of the cross that seems like foolishness even to some Christians. Some of us look at that and we're like, no, you mean all those people in far-off parts of the world? That... Inclusiveness and humility are strong values, especially in our modern culture, and this seems to contradict that. The wisdom of the world not only rejects the truth of this teaching, it's more and more seeing the belief that Jesus is the only way. That's actually an evil doctrine. Our last summary statement of the message of the cross is that through the mercy and grace of God, we can rise from the dead and live forever with him in paradise. Now that is amazing. This is the best news ever, that death does not need to be the end. We can rise from the dead and be welcomed by a God who loves us into a perfect eternity. But the wisdom of the world says, uh, nice fantasy, but when you die, you're dead. This life is all there is. Uh, it's a bleak fact, but it's a fact nonetheless. And believing in some kind of heaven or living your life and planning for that future, that's just foolishness. 
So we see that all six points of the message of the cross are foolishness according to the wisdom of the world. For many of us, some of these points don't even fit very well with our own wisdom either. So, we have a choice to make. It's tempting for us to look at a list like this and just choose which charts to believe and which parts to reject. Hey, the parts that fit with the way I like to think, the parts that fit with what my culture has conditioned me to accept, I'll take those parts. But any parts that, that just don't seem right to me, or in my own wisdom, that doesn't seem like the way that our good God would do things. As long you know, we're happy to go along with God as long as what he says makes sense to us and fits our own ideas about the way that things should be. But when the teaching of the Bible conflicts with my own wisdom, then we judge the Bible. And we treat our own wisdom and understanding as a higher level, more trustworthy guide for life. In this passage, we've seen the wisdom of God in the message of the cross as the means of salvation for our sins. And this truly is the most important area where we need to trust God rather than trusting in our own understanding. We need to look to the wisdom of God, not to our own wisdom, not to the wisdom of the world around us. But as we go on in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see God's wisdom applied to many other areas of our lives. Some of the things we're going to be talking about are divisions in the church and how God's wisdom applies there, the proper approach toward morally ambiguous practices, giving to the poor, divorce and remarriage, many other topics as we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. For a preview of all those topics, uh, pick up your Bible, read 1 Corinthians, you'll see them all in there. But the foundation for it all is that we need to trust the wisdom of God in all areas of our lives, even when it conflicts with the wisdom of the world or with our own wisdom. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask two things. Help us to understand your wisdom. Help us to know how to apply your wisdom in all the different challenges of our lives. And then, Lord, give us the faith to trust you, to believe what you tell us to believe, to do what you tell us to do. Lord, give us that faith. Amen.